Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name is Amit Mann. You can find me on Twitter at Amit underscore Mann. And you can find my guest, Jackson Frank, at what, where can they find you? What's 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 best? What's the Twitter uh, handle? All over the place. But, uh, <laughs> Dime Up Rocks, Basketball News, The Analyst, and Liberty Ballers are where my work is housed these days. But uh, you can find me all over podcasts and in other places usually as well. So yeah, those man. are the easiest places to find my work. You're everywhere. And the Twitter Twitter handle is? At Jack Frank underscore JJF. Beautiful. So that's where you can find Jackson. And with him today, I mean, what else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the Raptor 76er series. Yeah, it's not going well so far. They're down 0-2. It's not looking great. Two blowouts. A bunch of players are injured. But I mean, hey, we are here to, at least to some degree, to uh, provide some clarity, some positivity on what could be uh, happening in game three and four. We don't know. Obviously, the health status of, uh, well, a trio of players, Scotty Barnes for one, uh, Gary Trent Jr., Thad Young, a bit up in the air. A few of those guys could play. Maybe they don't. How effective they are, that's all up in the air. We don't know. But at the very least, we can look at things that the Raptors could at least improve on as they head back to Toronto. So I guess, first off, Jackson, what stood out to you about the 76ers? I mean, they've been off to a really hot start so far in this series. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a few things. One, they've generally held Toronto in check on the offensive glass. That was a huge factor, especially in that March 20th loss with both or both, I should say, the March 20th win from the Raptors' perspective, mm-hmm. um, but both of those wins in March and April. Um, and they've contained them in transition. Um, they, they've, in, in the, the what's the, I guess the cause of that has been they're not turning the ball over. They had, I think, three earlier turnovers uh, that led to the Raptors getting out to a quick lead in game two, but ended up with nine, only had three in game one. So a combined 12 turnovers is a really limited turnaround transition. Um, and they're just, they're, they're scoring really well. It hasn't necessarily just been the Joel and B James Harden show. Um, Joel was very good as a scorer in game two. Harden was excellent at, for stretches of game two and very good as a playmaker overall in game one, but Tyrus Maxey has been absolutely electric. Tobias Harris mm. has been really good as well in his role. Um, and then, you know, with that is they're, they're beating Toronto with their own game in transition. They've been dynamite in transition. Yeah. Um, I was looking at some cleaning the glass stuff today in the series Per 100 possessions, they're averaging 192 points in transition. Now that's only about 20, 25 possessions, so it's not <laughs> necessarily the best data set, but it's the only one I have available. Yep. Um, so they've been excellent. You know, that, that's kind of how they got back in the game in, in game two. Um, Joel had a couple of nice deep seals. Had that and one that nice pass from hard, maybe had a three as well. Maxing mm-hmm. some stuff in the open floor in game in the second quarter when they broke it open a little bit. So um, they've just been really, really concise or precise, I guess is the correct word. And um, diligent about where they have advantages and what advantages for Toronto they have to curtail. And they've generally yeah. done that. And it's been a very impressive showing from Philadelphia thus far. 
Maxi and Harris are the ones that are really sticking out to me because the Raptors, I mean, they've been doing this all season. They want to limit the best players on your team and they want to see if player number three, number four, if they can step up and they can hit shots. And in this series, uh, Maxi and Harris are shooting 38 to 57. That's 67% <laughs> through two games. That is an insane number. And you remember the Tobias Harris of past years. I mean, Maxi's a rookie, but Tobias Harris, he is a person that you would absolutely help off of because pressure whatever the case is he just didn't have that catch and shoot shot that um he definitely has now probably he's had a lot of reps now that he's playing with James Harden that he has to have that shot and he's hitting them and actually he's hitting actually some shots in isolation too which has been pretty impressive I mean, even when he gets matchups with like Gary Trent Jr or Fred Van Vliet I mean great I mean they're both limited but that's still the case of where he's actually you know in those non-embed minutes he's an option and he's actually really been a, a pleasant surprise so I'll give him credit there I mean we'll see how things go in Toronto uh, they don't 76ers don't necessarily need to win a game in Toronto but if they truly do want to view themselves as a championship contender like a team that's going to be able to win in hostile environments and that's going to have to happen if they do indeed get through this series he's going to have to continue to do that on the road as well. I mean, it's easy to do it in Philly when everyone's on, on your side, but can you do it in Toronto? Can you do it in Miami, Boston, whatever the case is? So those two have really been impressive. And then, as you mentioned, the transition, um, a number that stuck out, it's 51-20 over the course of two games. That's like a, a simpler way to look at it. And it just seems like the Raptors, I mean, they, they know that the offensive glass is really important to their success. And so there are cases where you got three guys crashing what's happening behind you. Guess what? Now it's a three on one advantage, Maxi Harris, James Harden, Embiid, everyone, like they're just rushing down the court. And I mean, what do you do? Like if they have to be a little bit smarter about um, how they're approaching that. And then, I mean, the half court offense is like you mentioned, like cleaning the glass. I love cleaning the glass. They're, they're great mm-hmm. per 100 possessions. And the half court offense is like over these two games, game one, 117 for Toronto, Philly 122. Game two, 102 each. So half-court offense hasn't really been the factor. It's like these other parts and also within the margins where the Raptors are failing. And again, to Doc Rivers' credit, I mean, the margins are sometimes where you end up winning playoff games and that's where he's getting it done. I wonder if we're seeing the renaissance of Doc Rivers right now, right in front of us. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's, I mean, I mean it's, been, it's been total effort. He's been good. He's yeah. I think I've liked some, I mean, you know, as I mentioned, the half court offense hasn't been the differentiator, but I've liked some of the wrinkles he's had. They've done a lot of the maxi Harden two man game. That's worked well, especially the non unbeat minutes. Mm-hmm. They ran a beautiful action to open the second half yesterday when Embiid got a lob. It was like a often run like a, oh, a deep sealed duck in for Tobias, yeah. but they also like that Chicago action with the pin down for Harden and they combined him into one. And the Raptors were all sorts of confused about which, which way to, to direct their attention. And it resulted in a nice easy dunk. So that's been some good stuff. He's kept the rotation pretty, pretty short as well. You know, I think uh, three guys yesterday um, played over 40 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. He's playing the starters a lot. He's keeping the bench short. Um, you know, you have 41 for Harden and Max each, 37 Joel, 38 for Danny Green, 39 Tobias. Like, seems like a simple thing, but it doesn't always happen. You know, like, you, yeah. you can date back to maybe pre-second round Budenholzer teams with the Bucks, where he wasn't always willing to do that. Or even look at Taylor Jenkins in the game one against the, the uh, Timberwolves. He played... John Desmond Bain only 68 of 96 possible minutes. So mm. um, keep your best players out there. And Doc's done that all year and it's extended in the playoffs and, um, and he's playing the right backup. You know, Paul Reed hasn't, you know, blown the world up or anything, but he's done some good stuff. He's has nice, nice possessions on both Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and kind of switches. Yeah. And I think he just opens the floor up a little more, um, you know, than Deanna Jordan. Jordan just the floor seemed really clunky in his minutes when he was a backup. And so um, that's been important too. And he's, he's really leaning in the starting five, you know, Matisse, I played 
19 minutes game one, 10 minutes game two. And so as a series shifts to Toronto, obviously Matisse will not be available, um, but he doesn't have to find 28 extra minutes to disperse, right? It's only about 14 a game between 19 and 10, you know, yeah. it's an average of 14 and a half. It makes it easier. You can give a couple more minutes to a guy like Embiid or, or Harris or Danny Green or a shake rather than having to find 30 extra minutes to fill. So um, he's just done a good job. And, you know, as I mentioned at the top, it's been, you know, he's, his job is amplifying what the starters and some of the key bench guys have, have done. I guess, I don't know how many, I don't really think the bench has been key, but the bench hasn't really gotten in the way. It's, it's felt like it's felt like they've been in good positions and, and done what they've had to obviously George Yang struggled a little bit in his couple of positions with Pascal. Yeah. He always um, does though. He's going to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's not really his fault. It's just like, you shouldn't, he shouldn't have to take, no. he shouldn't have to take that assignment, but um, you know, hit two or three shots yesterday, one of two from, from three. He's doing his job. Shake hit a, hit a three yesterday. I think he was two of three and maybe one of two in game one. So mm. um, they're just very much relegated to easy jobs when Harden and Max are out there without Embiid for the most part, and they're doing a good job. So um, it's been an all around collective effort, and that's why the Sixers, you know, find themselves, you know, up 2-0 with a thirty five point differential through <laughs> plus thirty five point differential through two games. Oh, gross. Um, speaking of Bud, just because um, this came to mind when I was watching game one between the, the Bucks and Bulls, did you see around like, you know, two minutes to go, minute 30, he took out Giannis because he had five fouls and then Giannis didn't get back in the game until like the 32nd mark. And Giannis is like, you're taking me out like it's five fouls. I'm, I'll be good. But he's like, no, we're going to we're going to be conservative here. And then if that game <laughs> ended up going really badly for him, that would have been another case of Bud. Just leave him out there. He'll do it. He'll figure it out. But anyway, that's yeah, game. that's a, that's a fair point. I kind of I, 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 that game escaped me, but oh, I guess yeah. game, that, that play escaped me. But yeah, I guess maybe we'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he still does seem to, to struggle with game ones. You know, he like they won the title <laughs> last year and they still lost three or four game ones and struggled with their game one against the Heat. So yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I, I guess I guess maybe he's he's uh, he's solved some of his issues, but he still can't quite always help himself there. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but yeah. Good times. We don't have to get all over, but there's going to be plenty of time for that because I think they're going to be, they're going to be around the, in the East playoffs uh, for quite some time, but uh, just focusing on James Harden for a second, how would you evaluate his play so far for those wondering at home? Where did I have it here? Nine to 26 so far, this uh, series, 20 assists. So that's nine to 26, not a great percentage, obviously, but he has 20 assists. So how would you evaluate James so far? I would say solid. I mean, like, I think, you know, he didn't shoot great in game one, but he got to the free throw line. He got, he hit four threes, um, yeah. struggled inside the arc, which I think everyone expected just given the length on the, mm-hmm. the perimeter that, that Toronto can offer. Um, it, it bothers him. Doesn't really, you know, it hasn't bothered, you know, Max attacking the tilted defense or Joel as much, despite Joel not being great in game one as a shooter, but um, the passing wasn't correct. Like he's made some really good passes, but I think what he's done most consistently well is, Toronto, like he knows Toronto loves to kind of be aggressive in the passing lanes and shade help toward him. And when he sees that guy step one step too far in his direction, it's a swing pass to Tobias or Max yeah. and they're off to the racers for letting it fly. Um, had a company, obviously had the great transition pass in game one, had a really, really nice pass in the second quarter of game two to Tobias. He like got in the lane and was kind of like twirling around and threw the ball like over his head or something like that for a skip pass and three um, and so he was really good. He was key for the Sixers to building a lead when Joel didn't play in the first, in the second quarter um, and was fairly quiet in the second half, had some weird bouts of like struggling with his handle and ball control in the second half, but they were, I mean, they were largely just kind of maintaining the advantage they had built in that first half. And so they didn't need him to be, you know, what he was in the first half and largely in game one you know, as yeah. well, but 
Um, of course, for the Sixers to get where they want to go, you can't have that burden. You can't have the second half game two version of James Harden. But overall, I would just say solid. He hasn't hasn't had some dynamite performance, but I think he's generally been good. I don't feel like he's been much of an issue defensively. I'd have to look more extensively through my notes, but I feel like he's sure. done some good things and also had some breakdowns, but um, just solid. I mean, he's kind of the all-star level James Harden that he's been this year rather than the all-NBA MVP guy that we generally expect from him, but have to you know skew our expectations based on you know, this season-long data now. We'll get to game three, James Harden, and what Toronto could do to at least get themselves in the win column in this series. But um, are you surprised how much, I guess, they're doubling James in this series? Because I look at those two games at the end of the regular season, and they were playing pretty straight up for the most part. And it seems like they're hedging, they're containing, they're contesting, they're stunting, recovering. And I'm just like, you know, at times they're getting a little bit too aggressive and James is making them pay and that's to his credit. But I've personally been surprised by how aggressive they've been when it comes to doubling him when they already are doing this to Joel Embiid. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this might be the, my third part of the day discussing this, this series, but my, <laughs> so you're a pro about, yes. yeah, I mean, I might as well. So apologies if you're listening to all this, you're going to hear some similar talking points, but hopefully I can frame them in different ways to keep you off guard. Um, but the biggest adjustment that I've offered that Toronto could make that could be the most beneficial it's just playing Harden more straight up because he doesn't have that same level of explosiveness that he had mm. last year or maybe two years ago, three years ago. Like, I think you can trust an OG or a Precious or even a Pascal, a Scotty if he's available, to just play straight. You don't need to help in the, on the nail or, or yeah, you know, yeah. from the strong side corner. I mean, the strong side corner has been a total lapse in judgment. or not like, it's just lapse in decision-making, I would say, from Toronto's defenders this, this series so far, especially mm. in that second quarter of game two. Um, and so, like, I, I wouldn't help off. Like, I would – if Harden's hitting a floater or a step back midi or a step back three, you live with it. Like you let it happen. Mm. But his biggest contributions thus far have been the ripple effect of how defense, how Toronto's defense is guarding him. So that's the ju- adjustment that I would advocate for. And I kind of expect to see it because as you mentioned, it's something they have gone to and it's been effective. Harden wasn't, I think in the, in the, he was quite poor in the second one and just kind of okay in the first Toronto win, if I recall. Um, yeah. For him, and so like you know that you can like he's not going to drop thirty on you. Like I mean, a hard and thirty point game these days is once every couple of weeks at best, I think. Um, and so you can just mm-hmm. feel like I think you feel better if Harden beats you with his tough shot making or those floaters that aren't you know a great high value shot um, than Maxi getting to the rim or, or open floaters or open sidestep threes or Tobias letting it fly with the confidence he has. So yeah, yeah. That, that's an adjustment I would certainly advocate for, and one I honestly expect to see in Game Three and one that should certainly help the very least i don't know yeah. if it's going to lead to a win but it should certainly help at the very least i think we saw a little bit of it in the second half granted i'm sure like the, the 76ers took their foot off the gas pedal just a little bit but when even when it came to garden Joel and bead like they weren't nearly as aggressive with their doubling they were doing a lot more just being um positionally sound and practicing better defensive habits so they weren't over doubling they weren't um, over committing and they weren't creating so many gaps in their defense which i mean like a person like danny green you mentioned him earlier he's been terrific for them he's going to relocate he's going to get a wide open lane and he's going to hit a shot like that's where danny green is now i'm sure he's had some ups and downs with the philadelphia 76ers but for the time being it seems like at least against the toronto raptors that he's uh he's enjoying life at the moment and he's hitting his shots for the most part so well, it's, think, it's funny. It's, yeah. I feel, he actually, I mean, he's only five of 18 in the series. He was one of six in game one, four of 12 wow. yesterday, but he had, <laughs> but he had that stretch in quick succession in, in second quarter where the game kind of flipped for oh, good. Man. Yeah. But that that's, that's kind of the worry, right? For Toronto is that like, yes, Sixers aren't going to shoot 49% from three the entire series, but like the way they're guarding for the most part, 
Danny's due for a game where he goes four of seven or five of seven. I'm not saying it's going to happen. The, the sample is too small to guarantee that sort of thing, but yeah, it's like, it feels like it because he had such a big key game and their key part in the second quarter. But, but yeah, and then also the other part is they guarded Joel mm-hmm. straight up more for the most part. And he had, you know, what 12 points after halftime, five, eight shooting only two free throws. Like yeah, he, they guarded one one on one. He was like, okay, you're too small. I'm too crafty for you. He had like my, I think, that he had like that pump fake and step through for a floater against Precious. And I was like, I was like, well, I've not seen that much from you. I mean, I see the turnaround to the pull-ups, but that one was like, all right, Joel, like you've clearly got a, a yeah. deep bag. Maybe I didn't even pull, you know, yeah. possible. But yeah, that's kind of the issue for Toronto, right? Is that it feels like Danny's got a lot of good look, but he hasn't even capitalized that that much yet. So yeah, I mean, again, he could, he could have, a, I mean, he Toronto fans know well that Danny's shooting can come and go at times in the playoffs. <laughs> Um, and so uh, it could it could go the entire series, but you know the way that the, the Raptors are largely playing defense, it's allowing him to get good yeah. looks, and you'd assume that maybe at least once he'll capitalize for a prolonged instance. Yeah, it's funny that they've actually taken the exact same amount of three so far in the series, sixty-two each. Philadelphia is at forty percent. The Raptors are at thirty-seven. Second game, they didn't shoot as well from the three from the three-point range. But um, as we're talking about it, like I think they're probably going to make those adjustments. And I wonder, like Toronto Raptors, I mean, they're a pretty smart, savvy team. To, and I think Nick Nurse, to a degree, I mean, they you see, look at look at the series, and it's two nothing right now. But I think the Raptors will look at this like, hey, you know they won their games at uh, in their barn and we're going to head back to ours. And I think there's a little bit of, let's see, let's see what they're capable of. I think they're trying to figure out what they can get away with against this team. And they feel very confident to some degree. I mean, you are in Toronto and they're very confident at that uh, there. And I bet you are thinking that, you know, Thad Young, Gary Trent Jr. We don't know the status of Scotty Barnes, but maybe those guys, they're going to be healthier come uh, tomorrow and that uh, they'll give at least, you know, serviceable minutes. Gary Trent Jr. played nine minutes. Thad Young had a pretty quiet game. He only played played a few, but you get those two back in your rotation, like in you know playing twenty plus. Maybe they're going to be in better shape. And then I think that's where we're going to see like the defense that they played in the second half, much more conservative, and much more about you know let's let them let's let our length take over and let's really see if they can hit shots over us. And maybe we'll see that um, come in, come game three. But at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a tough task at at this time because Joel Embiid, you mentioned that step through move, and that's what was in my mind when I woke up this morning. I was like, man, that's a move that you don't see very often. The foul discrepancy has been a huge talking point um, between Nick Nurse and the Raptors coaching staff and and so forth. And I understand it. I'll get your opinion on this too. I understand it to a degree, but I still feel like you know, because of how aggressive they've been. And this is why I don't get why they were playing this way for like the first three halves of the, of this uh, series so far is that you're kind of putting yourself to a point where you're, you're constantly scrambling and you're constantly playing from behind on possessions. And so fouls are going to happen inevitably. And some of them are questionable. Sure. Is does Joel and Joel indeed flop? Definitely. <laughs> um, but this is like, you know, this, like this isn't new information that James and Joel, like they're very good at creating fouls and drawing them. So you have to, how are you going to handle that? And then being hyper aggressive at times and getting their hands caught in the cookie jar. I mean, I think you're going to be, you're, you're playing with fire. Yeah. I, I, my, my thought with fouls, like I, when I watch basketball and analyze basketball, I always try to pinpoint things that I think players and coach can tr- control and that's mm-hmm. not something they can control, right? Beyond just like attacking the rim. And so I, I literally tune that stuff out. I like, I, I get fans and whatnot and teams themselves harp on it, but I, I generally am kind of just oblivious to it because I just, I, a foul, a foul, a foul is called unless it's like super egregious. I don't really make a note of it unless it's like, Oh, like 
you know, great footwork to set up the drivers. Like I'm not, I'm not looking at, I'm not taking a note of what the foul was like. So, um, but what I will say is I think, you know, the, you know, you look at some cleaning the glass stuff, like in the regular season, the Raptors have the ninth high. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. As to pose free throw rate. They, in the Sixers, I think, had the first or second highest free throw rate for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is the sort of thing that was going to happen. And maybe the discrepancy is larger than is justified. I, I'm not here to say one way or the other. But, like, the discrepancy existing and the Sixers getting a lot of foul shots was in the data. Like, you, like this was something, yeah. like, on paper. You didn't have to watch the games. You could just look at, you could just go look at the data and be like, okay, the Sixers draw a lot of fouls. The Raptors foul a lot. That's probably going to be a, a part of this series. So, sure. um, yeah, when you have two of the best foul drawers, you can you can view it favorably or negatively, whatever you want to do with the Sixers. That's mm-hmm. going to happen. And, and yeah, Joel sells contact a lot. And the, the one thing I'm not necessarily like here to like, if I will say like, well, that's also something that he, like him falling on the ground a lot is something he's been trained to do because he puts so much force on his lower limbs. Like, like yes, he, he does sell contact. I'm not saying that like he doesn't get frustrating, but I will say he doesn't, he tries not to land hard on his legs because he's a seven, one, seven, two, 280 pound dude. And so it's easier for him to just fall on his, his shoulder or his bicep, mm. whatever it is. So not here to like say that he doesn't sell contact. He definitely does, but it, the reason behind it is for some injury prevention at times. The other times, yes, he's definitely trying to force the reps hand, but just some context there. I think it is important that he's some of it is preservation because he went through so many injuries early in his yeah. career. But, but yeah, I, I think I don't, I don't, maybe some of the calls have not been great, but you know, the Raptors, and I don't, the Raptors don't draw a lot of fouls. They were 24th in their own free throw rate this year. So hmm. that's just kind of the, like how things go. Like, yeah. I, like, I mean, again, maybe the, the gap should be smaller. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to argue against that necessarily or argue for it, but um, it's just like how these teams play. And I think you like, I mean, may, I, I get what nurse is doing. He probably kind of wants to let maybe things happen a little more, but, and I get why fans are frustrated, but like, you also got to take a step back a little bit because yeah. this is just how each of these teams operate on both sides. <laughs> it's true. And uh, you mentioned that stretch where things kind of got tilted in the second quarter there and the 76ers, they scored on nine straight possessions and there were five threes in there. There was a 10 0 run in less than two minutes. And so that's where the Raptors really, really lost this game because you're playing uphill at that point and their half court offense, it's been, you know, average or a little bit better than probably we expected but in the end they're just not that high octane offense that maybe they would have been had they been healthy um scotty barnes like him going out 
Um, I think it's really neutralized some of their effectiveness to the, to the extent that, you know, their identity is right. It's like middle of the court. They're going to find a mismatch and they're going to kill you there. And he was having such a great game. And now him not being there. I mean, I wanted to, we can pivot now to their offense and things that they could probably do better is that I think we're going to see a lot more OG and Anobi um, in pick and roll situations as a, as a, a rim runner on pick and rolls as a popper, because I think they need to get Joel and beat away from the basket. And they're just not doing a good enough job of that. Granted, you no, know, no Gary Trent Jr is a problem there. Fred Van Vliet being up and down. He played every single second of the first half last night. And we're wondering, hey, why did he go one of nine in the second quarter? Well, there, there you go. Um, but there isn't many options, right? Because he can't put in Delano Banton because he's a rookie and Malachi Flynn did get some minutes, although he didn't make a shot. But um, yeah, things that uh, the Raptors could potentially do differently in game three in uh, at Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, I, I liked I, I I did like them coming out of the gates in game two, running a lot more pick and roll. You using they they recognized that Joel was gonna be on OG and they said, Okay, we're gonna force Joel, like, is he gonna defend Van Fleet, you know, on on the yeah. probe and the drive, or is he gonna, you know, you know, go rotate back to, to OG on the pop? Uh, and that gave him some issues. That's part of why this, the Raptors got off to a nice 13-2 or 13-4 start. I can't recall exactly what, but yeah, this nice little sizable advantage to open the game. Um the issue was like Van Vliet had to has to work so hard to create in those pick and rolls because he doesn't like he just doesn't have that kind of that that final gear that you maybe want you know maybe sure. like prime like Perry prime Lowry had people compare them all the time Lowry just had another extra gear in his prime getting downhill and stuff I and so my goodness anyway. <laughs> yeah you should, you should donate it to, to Fred I think he, <laughs> he it. you know I guess Kyle has his own uh, hey man he's taking gear. a lot of things from from uh, yeah. Kyle Lowry um, but yes yes <laughs> but that but that sort of thing it was just so hard for him to create and by the time they got to the second quarter he'd worked so hard to keep the Sixers or the Raptors in front by one after one quarter that he just I mean there was that play in the third quarter I think where he missed back-to-back threes from like the exact same spot and it was like oh. it was like ah you can tell these like and it was kind of a time where the game was teetering would it be close or not and yeah I was like, ah, man, I feel for Raptors fans there. Like that was probably a bit of a frustrating 20 seconds, but um, I liked that. I, I think, you know, I wonder with, with like, if you're going to go to more OG, what's stopping the Sixers from just throwing Joel on, on OG um, mm. because they did that late. And I think, I think Joel stopped him on one drive and OG as good as he was with some of his, his self-creation. I don't know how much of that is replicable. He had some pretty tough step backs to the deep three late, like at, yeah. at one point when they were kind of mounting a little late run, so I'm not saying they shouldn't try to go to more OG. I think especially using him as a roller, like you said, and just kind of seeing what can happen there makes sense. But I wouldn't – you're not saying this either, but I wouldn't bank on him going 10 of 14 again and hitting some of the shots he did. Sure. And so – and that's just – I mean, that's part of the the mastery of Joel is they like in this matchup especially, like you can just put him on whichever like kind of good but flawed creation wing the Raptors mm. are going to lean into more, you know. So um, obviously Pascal is this team's best, you know, best creator, at least has been the last couple of months, especially. So um, not saying he and OG are on the same plane there, but just the point being is you can move Joel around these matchups and really kind of force yeah. Toronto's hand. Um, and we'll see. But yeah, I like that as a, as a counter, you know, I, I wonder like, can like what, what can they do to force more turnovers because they were getting out in transition and running early in that game and, and getting some good stuff. Like what can they do there? I don't have a great answer, but I think it's got to be that as more, more pick and rolls. Like, and can someone beyond Fred emerge as someone you want to use in pick and rolls? Like, do you see, like, do you use Pascal more? Like, I, like, I, it seems like yeah. so much of Pascal stuff has been in this ISO and he's struggling to create against Tobias, like put Tobias in ball. Yeah. Tobias has been great defending creating both. I'm not sure. Like he still struggles navigating screens. So like you are playing into his in the Philadelphia 76ers hands when you just 
say, okay, Pascal, create an ISO, like mm-hmm. no, throw in a ball screen, use Fred as a screener. Like, and I guess I get the, I get the, like, I guess not, maybe not, but like, like then see it, like, can you attack Maxi? Like he had Pascal a nice play, I think in the second quarter or third quarter. Yeah, where he, you, he had a couple where that, that worked out. Attacking yeah. Maxi. Yeah. Because yeah. the forces switch, like do more of that. Don't, don't put all of the burden on Pascal to create against against Tobias when Tobias has been pretty solid in these two games against him using his hands for strips and his physicality yeah. to take away airspace so um make it easier on your guys set more screens and I know that's kind of been a thing with with Nurse and the Raptors here that fans want just maybe more ball screens and less ISO and whatnot and so oh you've been paying attention to Raptors Twitter haven't you yeah I, I have now you have <laughs> but uh but in they in so many of the people do great work it's easy to follow but sure. um but yeah those are the things that I would do is I would just get more ball screens forced to bias and more actions. ISO ISO was Tobias's best on ball strength defensively. So you force him through a screen, he's a lot less uh, adept. So that's what I would do. And yeah, I agree about the OG, see what you can do with him as a roller popper attacking off the catch. Yeah. But I wouldn't overindulge on him as an ISO creator, which is what they did. I think a little too much at times in game two, but it, it generally worked because OG really had it going, but doesn't have it going in that sense in game three. Don't, don't just kind of you know delude yourself into thinking game two OG is the norm and he's just off at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's a he's a tricky one because although it looks awkward, sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, he had a post up on Harden. He had he blew by uh, Tobias Harris late in the game. Granted, that's kind of in garbage time, but he had a shot over Danny Green. So he's had his moments this season, and especially I mean, we haven't seen him healthy for quite some time. But you know, you know when the season started, Pascal was out. He was having you know he was averaging twenty two points a game or twenty one or so. So he's got the ability. It's just um, is he going to be able to do it in high pressure situations? And he had also had a few turnovers when he was more of the primary ball handler, and that's still something that he's working to develop. But I would love to see him at least you know work some high low, like do more of Pascal and OG Ananobi, I guess actions because. Those are your two options right now to at least stay to your identity to some degree. And if Joel Embiid is going to be guarding one of them, well, he can't guard both of them. So that means the other person should, in theory, be at least available to uh, create in some capacity. And then, yeah, um, Tobias Harris and actions, Tybal's not going to be available for for the games in Toronto. And uh, I think you got to find ways to get Fred Van Bleet some rest. I mean, we he was great in that first quarter. He had 15 points. And then, as I mentioned uh, earlier, that there was that stretch actually that you talked about end of the first half. He missed a mid-range shot, then he missed back-to-back wide open threes. And at that moment, that would have cut the deficit to, to, 10, to 10 points. So that would have been a much better, at least point to be in um, heading into the second half. And uh, maybe that's where you put Pascal at point guard. Like we're shifting around guys who are going to be playing 39, 42 minutes anyways. So that's why the health of the Raptors is really key because Gary Trangine would be a person where you put out, you know, with the with Pascal and, and you know, when those non-embed minutes, whoever you want to put out there, because those aren't minutes that the Raptors have been able to dominate, especially in that second second game. That's actually when the when the 76ers made their run, right? Um, and uh, at least that could help in some degree, you know, get those um, even out those minutes because they they really do need to capitalize on, on that. And then um, I would like to see at least uh, Precious Achua. I mean, we're kind of digging deep now because this is how Raptor, how desperate we are. But Precious Achua and matchups against James Harden, he's had some success. Granted, I mean, James, like he's doing his his part, but Precious, I mean, the eye sample, the eye test is there, is that he's able to get downhill, he's able to drive by him. Uh, if, the, if the lanes are there, like, I think you need to try and get Precious going. And if, you know, he's he's a bit combustible at times, he's able to reel off a couple of threes in a row. And Gary Trent, and, or sorry, not Gary Trent Jr., Chris Boucher is the other person that, in the same vein of just at least trying to get Joel Embiid away from the basket, he had a go screen late in the game where he was able to pop out and hit, hit a three. Um, that cut the lead to, I think, 10 or so. 
um, more stuff like that. Like we are really, really scratching <laughs> right now because I'm look, I'm approaching this like we're not going to be getting the best versions of Gary Trent and, and Thad. And if we do, that does change things. But we yeah, really got to start digging deep for where the Raptors are going to be able to create more uh, half-court offense. It's been good so far, but as we've talked about, the, the defensive end is where things are really dicey at the moment. And um, that's where they got to make the most of their adjustments. Yeah. And you, like you can just, you can just tell they miss, they miss Gary's release valve on the wing and his like his shot making oh, that's impervious yeah. to, to yeah. contests. Obviously he went off in the last six or regular season game. Um, and so like, you just, you can just tell like, they just that. And then like Scotty's ability to break up the monotony of the half court offense has just been really sorely missed. And, you know, I, I don't know what the, the injury report's looking like for tomorrow, but I, I hope we get at least one of them back because, you know, and obviously both of them because they've both been really fun this year and, um, this team's been fun and it's, it's a lot less enjoyable when Fred has to do all of it and, and whatnot. Yeah. And the last thing as I would say with Fred is this seems kind of simple, but like I try to use him more as a decoy if you can and like, and use his skills that are beyond like the actual shot making and, and general creation. Like, you know, can you use him as an off ball guy who maybe is lifting a lot and, you know, mm-hmm. bringing that weak side guy to open things up for OG and Pascal can you use him as a screener. Like we said, he's such a good screener. Yeah. That's such a good, like so physical with it. Um, can you do things that involve him still and still ha- allow him to have an impact in the offense without it being like, okay, Frank, can you dribble nine times to either shoot or, you know, find someone who's open? Like, don't make it like allow him to be involved without it being so yeah. stressful for him. And that's, that's what I would go for. But it's, it's tough. As you mentioned, they're in a difficult spot with a, comp- a compromised team that's down 2-0 and one that already looked, you know, in game one, like it was in a, in a difficult spot. No, I wouldn't say difficult, but like in a spot where like things would have to be adjusted and, and go right for them mm-hmm. moving forward. And things have not gone right, unfortunately. But um, two wins is only two. It's the best of seven. So um, we, you, the, you know how these things go. And so, you know, there's, there's a long, long way to go, but it certainly is going to require some, some breaks in their, their way, but also some shrewd adjustments that maybe some of which you've advocated for, I'm sure many of which, we can't even conceive because there's a very smart uh, coaching staff and smart, you know, creative players to work with uh, over there yeah. in Toronto that I'm sure will, will do what they can. No question. Wrapping up here. And I want to get your thoughts on uh, Jamal Murray. So for those who are unfamiliar with the situation, it seems like based off uh, comments from their team president, um, Tim Connolly, that essentially Jamal Murray has been cleared to return. And so physically, like his knee um, is in good shape. And so technically, just based off the, the, the coaching staff and the, and the reports from the medical doctors of the Nuggets, he could return. Um, but it seems like they are also at the same time leaving it to Jamal Murray to decide if he does want to return this season. And he sent a tweet yesterday and it was just like, y'all don't think I want to be out there, huh? Crazy. And there's a lot of quotes, tweets to it. People kind of questioning, um, his desire to be a Denver nugget and, you know, how much does he want to win and stuff like that. And I guess I, I, it bothered me seeing that kind of stuff. I'll let you go first, but what is your, your take on where this is now? Because I think there've been some mistakes on the nugget side, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I, I just never think as fans, writers, whoever you are as an outsider, you're covering the league. And even if you're an insider, like it's never our position to question like these things about players that we don't know. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I can't even imagine like, and especially with Murray in this, like, especially his first two games where he's playing in the arena basically a year after, or he's watching team play a year after he, like he suffered that injury. Like it was in golden state and like, yeah. like, there's a there's a physical like physical mental kind of 
I guess, hurl you up to jump over. I've never, I've fortunately never had to you know, sustain something like that, like in work past any injury, but like, sure. I can at least sympathize with the idea that like, yeah, you can be cleared, but like, if you don't trust your full capabilities in that knee, then like, what's like, why, you know what I mean? Like, why would you be out there? And so, and, and I'm sure it's compounded, as I said, by the fact that he's, he would probably be debuting in the place where he last injured it. And that just, like that would give me heebie-jeebies personally. I can't imagine what it's like to actually have to consider that option. So yeah, I just, I, I think it's never anyone's place to question that sort of thing. And I, I, I think it's very much a bummer to even throw a tweet out there. I think, you know, every player in the NBA, like has a certain level of competitive drive. I think Murray in his what, four or five years now has shown maybe his even above average. And I like, I know he played through a sports hernia, I think his rookie year um, was has clearly been like, super impassioned you know that run during the bubble when he's incredible and just yeah. some of his his post-game speeches and whatnot like this is a guy that clearly the competitive hunger is there he's not he's not sitting out like if we're not going to make assumptions about players like at the very least if you're going to like all he's shown us is that he wants this more than like you know not i wouldn't say everyone but like he's shown that he has a, the requisite level of competitive hunger like yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, sure yeah. He I'm sure he wants to be out there i'm sure he doesn't like watching his team lose by 20 in back-to-back games so I just think it's it's something that we as fans, writers, media, whoever you are, it's not a it's not a line we should cross, and it's you know for lack of a better or not not like for the best, it's inappropriate. It's not our place to do that, and so mm. I, I sympathize with him, and I, I hope he's able to come back whenever that is on his terms. It would be awesome if that was sometime this series, but yeah, at the very least, I know we'll get a very very good and fun and awesome Jamal Murray at, at next fall. But I, I hope he does it on his terms and doesn't let this outside noise affect him whatsoever because it's not fair. And from the player perspective, like we, I've only heard Nikola Jokic address this once, but from what he said, he said that, you know what, I want him to return when he's completely comfortable. And that's all he said about it. But the reason why I'm questioning the Denver Nuggets, the way they've approached it, and I don't think they're doing this on purpose. I think maybe they just maybe made a mistake is that when you make, when you make that heel turn saying, you know what, it's up to Jamal. Now the onus is on Jamal. And it's been pretty clear now that the only thing holding up Jamal Murray being on the court against the Golden State Warriors is Jamal because he's been medically cleared, but I don't think there's been enough made of the mental aspect, like you mentioned earlier. And that's Clay Thompson. Um, he mentioned this too, is like, he's actually talked to Jamal Murray about his recovery. And he said, the toughest thing was, you know, jumping and landing and knowing you're going to be okay. That doesn't like, you can't fix that. That's nothing that's physical. That is mental. And that's not going to happen overnight, man. That is a really, really hard transition to make. And if you do something like, oh, I don't know, Kevin Durant, when you return in game five of the NBA finals, and then now all of a sudden you hurt yourself further and you miss a whole season, like you have to be, and people are like, I'm sure NBA players are looking at the example of Kevin Durant. And I'm, think, I'm thinking Kevin Durant also has looked, thought about this saying, maybe I didn't make the right call there, but he probably felt the pressure and he wanted to play. His competitive spirit came through. And so we returned and then what happened is what happened. But I think, um, when some of these major injuries, it feels like there needs to be like a new mandate in place where there's a mental aspect that a player has to clear. And that's something that's done through a doctor, because I don't think enough is being made of that aspect um, with respect to Jamal, because um, the heat that he's re receiving is it's really unfair. And this with the Nuggets, they probably could have just said that, you know, instead of saying it's up to Jamal, we're leaving with him. Just keep on saying he'll return when he's ready. Or you know what, even just say this rule him out. Like maybe Jamal is still wrestling with this. It's quite possible, but just don't answer the question. Put your media, media PR hat on and just don't answer it. Like people are going to keep on asking, just keep on saying the same damn thing over and over. Because now the fact that this is like Jamal's feeling more pressure than he's already feeling, it just doesn't seem right.
Yeah, it's you, it, you. I I agree. I think there's some of the comments, and I I agree. You don't know whether like it's intentional or not, but regardless, it's it's put the onus on Jamal, and that's unfair for him. Yeah. Um, like it's okay to just say we're going to keep this this timeline private. Like he's he's progressing well. He'll return when when everyone involved you know says he'll return. Like you don't have to you don't have to put the onus on him like that. And and just like in general, like like I said, I've never had this sort of injury, but like and this is a much smaller scale. I'm not trying to compare myself to a player, but like. I remember a few years ago, like I sprained my ankle a few times and like, I, I, w- I would get scared to jump and like push off yeah. that ankle. And like, I can't imagine what it's like to have to try and jump and mm-hmm. feel stable in that in your ACL, like I, it's a much different scale, but just point being yeah. is like when you've had an injury like that, that it limits you, you don't trust your body in, in, immediately. So, yeah, but I, I totally agree that like just keeping it private, even just saying no comment or just a boilerplate tagline that doesn't put any pressure on anyone would be the best way to go about it. Because yeah, as you said, it's, it's unfair. It's unfair and unfortunate that there's just feels like there's all this pressure on on Jamal when it, sh- it should just be he should not have to deal with it. He shouldn't have to tweet that. Like, yeah. It, it's just, I mean, you're not seeing Kawhi tweet it. Like, I mean, Kawhi. I guess Kawhi's only been ten months, but like, mm-hmm. you, you know, that's no, there's nothing there. Like, you come back on your own time. Like, just yeah. very unfortunate. And I guess I don't know why. I guess for some reason I thought the Kawhi thing was less recent, but I guess it's only been ten months. But point being is, yeah, the players should come back on their own time and it's okay if these sorts of injury recoveries and timelines are kept private because you don't necessarily need to be privy to, to all of them. All the yeah. Time. Granted. I mean, I'm sure the Denver Nuggets, like if he's there, if Michael Porter Jr. is there, they're probably in a spot where they could be contending for an NBA championship, but that window is going to stay open for them. You know, hopefully next season things go differently for them. And I hope things go differently for the Toronto Raptors in game three, because it would be suck. It would really suck if they finished this season in a, a sweep or whatever the case is, because it's been a great year. And if injuries are what, what uh, are their undoing, then so be it. But it would be great to see Scotty Barnes return in some capacity. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If he's healthy enough and also with Gary Trent Jr. and Thad Young, Jackson Frank, Dime Up Rocks, Basketball News, and Liberty Ballers. You can find them on all those platforms and also on Twitter. Great follow. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.